I'm wondering really what their favourite bit about the design actually was in the end. If if they like it more than something they've driven before, what was the thing they liked? I got sort of mostly like the a general feel. Um, it wasn't a specific feature. Um, I can tell you what my favorite feature was. It was the structure of the button. I'm sure I must sound very boring, but it's it's the intention of all of the buttons and the grouping of buttons, which I enjoyed the most. Because if you look at a driver's, if, if you have ever seen a train cab and a train driver's cab, you, you know that there's so many buttons and it's like everywhere and you don't really understand sort of what everything does. And it, it, it was, and being sort of a um, on the spectrum of OCD and needing to organize stuff, uh, <laughs> I, I took a, a little bit too much of <laughs> enjoyment of trying to structure that. So uh, uh, looking at the, the frequency that the buttons were used and then placing them, they still need to be placed in you know a logical grouping. So you couldn't just place them in, in relation to how often they are pressed, but you have to sort of keep the grouping uh, contained as well. Uh, and uh, I introduced a... Um, sort of a color um, uh, uh, areas as well for like blue uh, represented anything that has to do with the, with the door functions. Uh, gray was uh, communications and then everything else was black. Um, and then we used um, uh, a little bit of framing around the buttons with, so instead of having titles above each button we had a, a grouping a group name and then we had specific symbols on the button that represents like the the choice of symbols to ensure that they fully understand that it's sort of like a almost a um a language free type cab where like the, the symbol indicates the actual use of that uh, together with that group um uh, group title yeah, that, that was something that I really enjoyed structuring and, and uh, getting right. Another thing was the the, the actual driving stick, um, driving handle, which was ergonomically shaped and uh, fully in uh, wood. Since uh, in Sweden, if you have something in steel or like it gets cold in wintertime and wood sort of preserve its warmth, it's just a, a nice feature. The amount of the force it takes to so in trains you have to press a dead man handle so you have to sort of keep the the driving stick down to be able to drive the train so we gave them that option as well as of course they have a foot pedal or um, another button as well uh, on a, a grab rail but that the force of leaning your hand down and getting it right so it's not uh, it's not creating a, um, like they don't have to keep, you know, strain on the hand to keep it down while they're driving was very sort of sensitive in terms of like getting that balance of uh, force that's sufficient force enough to make sure that it's an um, it's an actual sort of cognizant um, action, um, but not soft enough that, you know, a, a driver with his hand down can simply fall asleep and, and keep the 
keep the train going. So it, yeah, it was very sort of those, yeah. Starting to think, uh, like talking about it just gives, <laughs> I start to think of all of those little things. I sort of get back into the project, sorry, being <laughs> too detailed. Oh, no, it's great because what you've highlighted are the challenges of the design. So I'm wondering whether there were any other challenges. I mean, you've talked about a lot, but were there any other specific challenges that you had in this project? Uh, well, like there's there's heaps of challenges in terms of um, getting all of the project disciplines into the same mindset of what we're trying to accomplish. Now, I was very lucky when I came in, the culture around the in the design team was very focused on the users um, because Stockholm Lands Traffic sets a really consistent and clear expectation from the get-go that this project must be user-focused. They did a lot of, uh, before I came in, they did a lot of user research out with different customer groups, uh, capturing their needs and what they enjoy about the the current trends, what they want to see sort of uh, improved. So they had a lot of uh, uh, personas and, and profiles mapped out in terms of what the needs are for the customers. Uh, I supported a lot of the drivers and staff and maintainers sort of profiling and, and looking at those tasks. So there was that uh, precedent of everyone really sort of focused on the, like the user was at the center of all of the design decisions made. And the challenge was to meet the needs in terms of like there's there's always design constraint when you're working in a um, and when when you're designing something especially that's very sort of technical technology complex uh, there's a lot of things vying for position and place within that frame um, you know there's a set you know you can't make the train as big as possible like it there is a, an extent to how large it can get. And uh, you want to make sure that the, the livable area or where, where, the, where the customers exist and you know, for their comfort to be as large as possible. So a, a lot of the sort of just the shell of the train is where most of the systems are placed. Uh, so there's a lot of intentional sort of design design decisions of where to place certain certain things to make sure that it's accessible, maintainable, um, doesn't sort of interfere with other systems. And, you know, you have broad strokes in the beginning of the project, but as you mature it, it, it gets crowded and more crowded and more crowded where everything gets cemented like here's here's this thing here's that thing and then when you try to change something it starts to have a ripple effect because everything is sort of like a tight uh, tight knit system so that was i guess the the majority of the challenges is trying when you identify an issue identify something that needs to be corrected to be able to directly get to the uh, engineer responsible for that subsystem um, have them understand the the complication and the issue behind it and bring everyone together to sort of workshop and resolve that before it gets 
to the stage where oh we can't do anything more because it's it's all locked down. Um, so human factors within the project is a cross discipline uh, practice. You you're not sort of just uh, shoehorned into like a design um, uh, team or you know assurance team. You, you are really sort of cross discipline. You're everywhere all at once, uh, trying to communicate the needs of the user and, and try to keep everyone really f- user focused. Um, so there was a lot of meetings, reoccurring meetings with um, both the discipline leads. Uh, so looking at system integrators, the safety assurance team, the system engineering team, the RAM engineers, the project management. Uh, so we had a lot of like daily catch up. Um, and I must say that project was managed su- superbly like the 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 amount of um structure and uh, the action oriented kanbans and you know the the focus of the delivery was top notch so it really helped sort of getting well integrated into that project and we're talking about a, a project team of 100 150 people so um you tend to um uh, get involved in that higher phases, uh, higher layer to ensure that you have that overview. Uh, but then you also go down to uh, the sub-disciplines, um, even down to working in close relations with the person that does the door or the person that's, uh, uh, you know, are looking at the, the the button layout for the driver's cab and working hand in hand with them to say like, like let's let's try like looking at the data in terms of button frequency or looking at how people sort of interface with the door um how can we get in terms of the door i'm talking about mostly maintenance in terms of how to get access around it um all of those little aspects of the design you get to sort of work with the individual engineer uh but then you sort of brought up as well to look at the holistic uh, level um so it's it's definitely fun, and that's what I'm um, sort of bringing it back to what I said in the beginning of being a mediator. There is always a constant dialogue in terms of um, translating the user needs and the data that you collated to engineers, and uh, uh, as well as the other way around of you know looking at design constraints and translating that to the end user groups to inform them and keep that transparent um conversation happening uh, throughout the project really helps everyone sort of understand each other's uh, challenges human factors is primarily communication <laughs> practice in my view uh, uh you you can uh, make or break a project by how well you communicate user needs. Like you can be very technical savvy in terms of, you know, collating data and knowing how to run a workshop and, and uh, analysis. But if you don't have the soft skills of really sort of meeting people halfway and, and understand their worries, uh, understand their challenges and working with them to find an optimal compromise, 
it's it, it won't gel and you have to definitely choose your battles you can't create uh, a mountain out of every hf issue you find there is wins there is losses but the idea is to make the, the best solution for uh, the majority of users so compromise is one of those things that you've mentioned but um what are the lessons that you've learned from this project so um in terms of the different lessons i would say so i I talked about the project having that sense of culture of designing user-focused culture and that helps a lot when you're trying to have those dialogues and the the communication with the different disciplines Um, so setting the um setting the expectations very early on is very critical for any project um now the project team was all uh, it was all Swedish people, you know, developing a Swedish train for Stockholm. So we had the luxury of also having that sense of pride of developing something that is going to stand the test of time. It's going to be something iconic for Stockholm. Um, so there is that sense of pride of wanting to get it right, and everyone was fully invested in designing a. Uh, a great product, a great train. Uh, so you have that passion with the people. You uh, you have that uh, user-centered focus uh, in every part of the project team, like from the top down to the to the person doing the grab rails. Like it's every everyone was fully invested in that uh, culture, and that really helps. So that's definitely a positive. If if you can foster that type of culture that is not just a group of people or a one uh, sort of a, a discipline designing a, a piece of part uh, that will go into um, like Sydney Metro, for example, you want the every, like the whole team to be really sort of committed that they're actually doing something for the community and for the, the greater good of uh, the people of New South Wales. Um, and I do take pride. Like, so I started with the minor design things, but I love working in transport because, and especially public transport, because I'm an advocate for, you know, sustainability, environmental friendly solutions. And, you know, I, I take pride in working within that field and, and improving that and giving that option uh, a comfortable simple easy to use option for people to um, um, travel is is very important to me so i'm very lucky to be working in this space um another uh lessons learned that i took from it was to in some aspects where you had those challenging sort of design decision of which direction to take um there are always going to be areas of uh, people sort of prioritizing reduction of risk and other people's prioritizing reduction of cost or you know other people uh, prioritizing other things so there, there's always um, a lot of different individuals uh, with difference of of opinion and um, you want it to be you want to be sensitive to the fact that and I'm not sure if if my mediation skills sort of stem from you know, years of me being a middle child and working through 
<laughs> my, my siblings' drama and, and trying to sort of help. But it, you have to sort of take yourself out of it. Like your specific opinion doesn't really matter. And I try to communicate that to everyone in terms of like, it's not about uh, just reducing risk or just reducing cost or just, you know, making it uh, simple. It's about what is the the best outcome you can make within this particular um, situation. I, I guess ranking or uh, the just looking at the you can't look at one um, specific thing in isolation. You have to sort of look at all of the things. Um, the project has a, had a great configuration management uh, team that look at the all of the requests for changes in the design, and they kept a, a really sort of detailed log of all the changes and all the decisions that were made throughout the project. And they had weekly meeting with the discipline leads to look at all of those change requests and everyone needed to feed into that basically giving their interpretation of the associated risk the associated cost uh, uh, the the benefits the value that it gains versus the the pros and cons uh, all of the discipline leads shipped in for each of those change requests to inform a a better design outcome, a better design decision. And I think that made a lot of sense in terms of, you know, it's it's not just your opinion or whoever speaks the loudest that gets the uh, gets their way. It's it's about looking at the combined uh, profile of that decision and then making a best decision for the users at the end. So by the end of the project, how had the perception of human factors amongst the stakeholders changed? Had it changed from what it may have been at the beginning? Well, uh, in the beginning, uh, it was clear that, so uh, Bombardier didn't have a local human factors specialist. They had uh, two people in Germany that was supporting uh, the human factors integration. And it wasn't, uh, since they weren't local sat together with the design team there was this sort of um there was a challenge definitely in terms of getting uh, through all of the different hf issues and making sure that you had those conversations with each discipline lead so they were looking for someone local to be sat with the design team and work sort of hand in hand with them and that's where i came in so they uh, applied for someone local i was lucky to get it uh, and I basically sat there 24-7, uh, fully fully committed to the project for like the, the two years where uh, it was, the design was in progress. Um, still sort of leaned on the knowledge and expertise from the German team, and we support each other in different uh, uh, workshops and activities. But uh, that local uh, resource that, you know, could walk around and, and see sort of what the designers were working on and, you know, just checking in uh, uh, every week with everyone and continually follow up on the status and resolution of HF issues uh, really helped to shape the, the different design decision and, and how it uh, transpired. So I think at the, at the end, everyone felt that, there, it was a, a lot of benefit had by having a local expert in 
in the same building, working with the designers and, and supporting them. I think that was sort of the main takeaway of it. I think uh, all credit to the design team. They're already very turned on in terms of like the uh, focused on the user-centered design. And, and they themselves were having a lot of great ideas that they identified issues themselves and, you know, came up with great ideas to resolve it. Um, I was just, uh, it was amazing team to work with. You can have a very technically skilled human factor specialist uh, that's very good in running the analysis, capturing data, uh, but the soft skills of communicating the conclusions and getting agreement between different parties which I already sort of touched on during our conversation. That is one critical item that I want uh, new starters, new people coming into HF to really understand that you get the foundation within uh, the universities. You get, you know, you graduate, you you learn all of the different sort of tool toolkits uh, that you can have in your uh, arsenal to get to the data and support your arguments, but a lot of the wins that you have within project teams is how well you can communicate those conclusions. It's not a, a person in the project would not just look at your data and say, okay, I understand sort of where you're coming from. Uh, it's a matter of presenting that in a very logical, rational way. Uh, so. It, I think everyone in um, everyone in any field, whatever job you do, you're always a salesperson because you're you're basically selling your uh, you know your knowledge, your skill. It's, you're always presenting. You're always sort of uh, arguing your point and and presenting that aspect. It, it's just you, that is the the primary skill to have. Um, and being a practitioner, I think I, uh, I, one thing I didn't touch on, which I wanted to give credit to, was all of the people within the research field, because they they do a lot of the work that I base my conclusions on. You know, it, uh, being a practitioner, you never get the luxury of running a five-year research <laughs> program where you sort of dive into the psyche of end users and you know try to understand a particular uh, a complicated segment of the human being and uh, so you just tend to lean on a lot of the research papers that are coming out of that field and you know without them feeding that evidence base for uh, to support our conclusions it will be hard uh, because a lot of the time you're running workshops with like yeah seven or eight and you have to just use that to inform a design decision. And you want to argue that it's not just, you know, we're not parroting uh, user feedback. We are uh, capturing root causes of what uh, um, the challenges from the user and from our understanding of, you know, collation of uh, research papers and literary review, we can make we can draw um, the parallels between what the user is experiencing with what the research is saying, 
and with that sort of combined give that conclusion of like the evidence and the users are saying sort of are coming together and saying this to you inform those design decisions and make this choice of going a certain direction and um, so that that's um yeah a key point to keep in mind is that you know as a practitioner um, we're nothing without the research backing us <laughs> i mentioned that i'm not i don't have the full knowledge like i'm still learning um and uh, yeah there's other people that are really specialist in the specific areas and you know i'm just awed at the vast amount of knowledge that they have and i just soak it in i'm still soaking it in every conversation i have with a colleague i'm just soaking in that information and and using it in for my advantage when i'm arguing for uh, for a particular position or a choice within the design it's uh, yeah I'm, I'm thankful that you have uh, we have that community of practice here in, in Australia where we can have those dialogues and, and keep in touch and, and learn from each other. Uh, parts of the project was also to have uh, to build like this was a from the ground up build a management system of the train train management system where it's both used to capture faults and defects of the train so a maintainer can monitor that to diagnose the train and understand sort of where if any system is failing and what type of maintenance needs to be done. But also for the operator, what we designed is a user interface where it showed the the location of the trains in the system. So you can sort of almost like have a, a, a supplementary traffic management system. Um, it allowed uh, them to respond to alerts like... Um, uh, help uh, points like if customers are ringing in they can reply and and talk to people on the train as well as fully take control of the train if it needs to so we created a a user interface where basically it looks like a a, a joystick where they <laughs> they actually are remote driving the train through a interface on the computer and you know taking it through the, the network so if if everything fails they they have a system for like driving the train as a sort of remote remote uh, train yeah it was, it was a lot of fun that we were very early on cost concepts of that uh, a lot of focus was on the uh, the train uh, and we we were able to do the wayside operation uh, sort of the the concept design of that. Uh, unfortunately, I moved to Australia just before they continued that uh, the the software. So not sure exactly where it ended up, but uh, that was sort of the the intent of building uh, building that application to support the train operations. But it was fun to just be part of the concept and sort of create a brainstorm around how it can look and how how sort of uh, uh, alerts come in and and how to reply and what the what the basically the sort of the call box can look like um which gives them directly also cctv images of that location so they can see the person that they're talking to it, it was all fun uh and software is always uh a lot flexible in terms of what you can do because you can build anything with software hardware at one point gets cemented and it's hard to change software you can always iterate and always change and move things around to so there's it's a 
an agile process you know, when you're developing software versus hardware. There's a lot of areas in terms of the uh, incident management processes and how people interact and how the, the control room um, operates and, and the different types of people in the control room and how they interact with each other and uh, how the intention about where to sit them in, ter- in relation to each other and uh, to enable their communications uh, was also very interesting. So definitely there's a lot of talking areas, uh, points we can um, we can get into. Thanks for joining us at the Human Factors and Ergonomics Hub, brought to you by the Human Factors and Ergonomics Society of Australia, where human-centred design really matters. If you like this podcast, make us your favourite in your podcast app. We look forward to chatting with you next time. Thank you.